You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. As you're turning there, let me remind you about next Sunday. Um, We're having one worship service and one Sunday school, um, just like we did over the uh, July 4th. Uh, around that weekend. Uh, we're also having the Lord's Supper together in, in uh, next Sunday, and so we look forward uh, to that time together, our church picnic next Sunday evening as well. Um, I'm hoping to start the book of Daniel in uh, a couple of weeks, and uh, so next week we'll be uh, talking about the Lord's Supper, but then Daniel after that. I'm excited about that series together. We've kind of laid the groundwork for that in our study of Jeremiah. And uh, so we look forward, I look forward to uh, being a part of Daniel together. In the meantime, this week, uh, it's good for us to, uh, to uh, think about the church and uh, what we are called to as the the people of God. So I want to revisit this text today in Acts chapter 2, which uh, reveals the the focus and the priorities of the early church. John MacArthur writes this, This was the church that Jesus built on the day of Pentecost, unspotted, uncorrupted, in its infancy, the purest church, only hours after its birth, thriving on the ecstasy of new life. And I think that's an apt description in so many ways. This picture that we have here, this portrait of of the church in Acts 2 is what it looks like a a faithful church uh, should be. And so let's give our attention to it. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this uh, opportunity we've had to worship you through singing this morning. And, And now we pray for your help as we worship you by listening to your word. And so, Lord, as you've faithfully do by the power of your spirit we ask that you would speak to us from your word words of life that we need to hear and uh, we humbly lord humble ourselves to receive it this morning i pray that you would use me as your servant i I pray that you would increase and i would decrease and your word would go forth and i pray it in jesus name amen one of the benefits of and blessings, I think, of the, the book of Acts and a section like this in particular is that it helps to shape our understanding of what it means to be a Christian, uh, what it means to be a church, uh, what it means, that, what we're to be about 
uh, as a church, as the Lord's people. And so here in Acts chapter 2, we see the church being born, uh, if you will, right before our very eyes as the Spirit of God fills them at uh, Pentecost. Peter preaches the, that very, his very first sermon, many come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then this helps us to see and answer important questions about who we are and what it is that we're to be about. We have this this early church, if you will, that gives us this portrait of this. There are two ways, I think, that we see in which men and women show themselves to be Christians. One of them negative and one of them positive. I mean, it's illustrated before us in this text. First, the negative. When you become a Christian, it first of all leads to a separation in your life. In a sense that when we come to Christ in faith, recognizing our sins, receiving in Christ the forgiveness of our sins and new life in the Spirit, that it leads us to a remarkable change in that we move from being in the world to now in the church. That's precisely the change that Luke is describing for us here. Look in verse 40. He's talking about Peter. With many other words, Peter bore witness, and he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. There's a remarkable change that's happening there in the fact that they were subtracted from the world and they were added to the church. It's repeated again down in verse 47. The Lord added to their number, talking about to the church, day by day, those who were being saved. This is something that is found uh, as a pattern everywhere in the New Testament as we read it. Not one of the letters of the New Testament were written to people in the world. They were all written to either individual Christians or to churches. That is, those who had been gathered out of the world and then put into these new communities called churches. That is what we see pictured again over and over in the New Testament. It marks a tremendous change. It's such a, a change that shows itself outwardly. Once men and women were filled with the Spirit through the Word that was preached, they were entirely changed. And the change revealed itself in this separation from this, as verse 40 calls it, the crooked generation, Peter said, the godless world in which we used to live. When these new believers were filled, they began to think for the first time spiritually. They, they began to discover that the way they had been thinking about life was with the mind of the flesh, the mind of the world, a mind opposed to God and the things of God. They seemed to have not known that before. They thought they were thinking on their own. They thought that their thinking was right about how they were approaching the world. But when the Spirit came into them, they began to realize their thinking was wrong. Paul talked about the mind of the world. He, he used the word debased mind in Romans 1, 28 through 32. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, 
malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, he says, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. It's a picture there of, of, of humanity without God. This is the crooked generation, if you will, that Peter spoke of. But now, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, men and women begin to see the vileness of these things, the vileness of their sins, the evil of their ways before God, and they leave them behind. In that moment here at this, Peter's sermon, when they hear their words about their sins, it talks about how they were cut to their heart. And they essentially said, well, what shall we do? We're in a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a sinful person. And they repented of their sins, and they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were gloriously saved. They were given a new mind. They were given the Spirit of God. And they separated themselves immediately from worldly things. Now there is a new hatred for those old ways of life. And there's new desires for God. It's always, uh, I think, a good thing to ask ourselves, has that change happened in our lives? Do we sense something of that? Is it happening now? Are you continuing to separate yourself from the world, from sin? Or do you find yourself trying to hang on to your sin and be of the world and in Christ at the same time? Beloved, this really is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. When these folks in Acts chapter 2 became Christians, negatively, what happens? They separated themselves from what they had been. There's a leaving behind of it. Now, there's also a positive change, though. And the positive change is that they joined the church and continued in the church. Notice verse 41. So those who received Peter's word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, verse 42. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The word there is they continued steadfastly. They continued to devote themselves. And it's repeated again in verse 46, day by day. Day by day they were doing these things. And more literally, that they continued daily with one accord. So the first test of whether or not you're a Christian really is, am I separating myself from the world, from worldliness? Has there been a break from my sin, a break from the world? And then secondly, perhaps a test of being a Christian is, do I want to come together with other Christians? Has there been such a break that I I want to, I find in myself now a, a, a desire to devote myself continually, steadfastly with God's people? Has this change happened in me? It's one of the fundamental marks, I think, of receiving the new life in the Spirit that's pictured here is that you want to draw close to others who have this life in common with you. You desire that. 
Well, why did these people in Acts 2 come together and continue to devote themselves in this way? The simple answer is that they had become members of the same family. They'd become members of the same life, the same eternal life. They were born of the Spirit of God. They had His life, the Father, God's life, breathed into them in their souls. And these people were now drawn together just as the members of a family are drawn together. What did they come together for? Here are these people who have just come out of the world to join this group of people called Christians, disciples, and they form this first church. But what do we find them doing? What are they devoting themselves to? Well, there are four activities. The simplicity of this uh, is a, a beautiful thing. Uh, first, it says they devoted themselves to learning to learning, or what verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This, this was a, a learning church. The first thing these new Christians desired was further teaching from the apostles. Uh, they wanted to understand more. They wanted to understand what had happened to them. Why it happened to them? What was going on in their lives? Lloyd-Jones notes this. He says, they had the same experience, that is salvation here. They're filled with the Spirit. And they had that same experience, he writes, because, precisely because they believe the same message. It was Peter's preaching that had brought them together. It was Peter's preaching that through the word that they had been saved, and therefore they devoted themselves to continue to hear that word. You, hard to imagine here 3,000 baby Christians that are here. I think of the poor apostles. There were only 12 of them. And uh, Kent Hughes writes this, they, they must have been nights when they fell into bed thinking they could never utter another word. It must have consumed them, all of this teaching that they had to do or called to do to these folks. But this is exactly what Jesus had commissioned them to do. At the end of all four Gospels, essentially Jesus commissions the church to make disciples. He said, go and teach them, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What were they to teach? They were to teach everything that Jesus taught them. What they had learned from his teaching, from the Old Testament, what he had revealed to them during his time on earth, they didn't imagine that these new believers would somehow just grow up on their own and figure things out. They had to be discipled. They had to be taught. And so that's what the apostles did. They committed themselves to teaching. Verse 43 tells us, I think, of the special authority given to the apostles to teach the word and, and it's noted in that phrase um, because their message was accompanied by many wonders and signs that were being done through the apostles. Why was that? It, it was to authenticate their message. It was to give authority to what they were saying, that what they were saying was from God. And now that we have their teaching that I believe is inspired by the, the inspired word of God, I'm thankful today that I don't have to perform any miracle for you at the end of the service for you to know uh, that what I have said has been the Word of God because all you have to do is look in the Bible, right? And you say, is what he's saying what is in the Scriptures? 
Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.20 that the church, he said, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That is, their, their teaching, their teaching with Christ as the cornerstone. And a faithful New Testament, spirit-filled church, we're pick, the portrait of it right here is that those who continue to teach the apostles' doctrine today. And so today, the teaching of God's Word remains the central function of the church. From, from, we strive to do that in every ministry, right? From children's ministry to youth ministry to adult ministry. We, we want to be a teaching church. Where do we get that from? Well, it's right here, the New Testament, right here. We, we want to be a, a, a church that is teaching to make disciples of Jesus Christ because teaching churches fulfill the Great Commission. Now, And as believers in Christ, we want to be learning believers, learning believers. The implication here is that the Spirit-filled believer in Christ is going to hunger for God's Word. This is in part why they desire to be with His church, desire to gather with His people because they want to learn. Think about Peter's sermon here in which he indicts them in their sinfulness for putting Jesus to death. They thought that they were doing the right thing by doing so, but suddenly they were awakened by the Spirit. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. Their blind eyes opened. They had been ignorant of God and ignorant of the things of God, and now they're saying, in effect, I don't want to be held in such ignorance any longer. I don't want to keep going down that path. I want the truth of God. I want God and His Word. Peter would later on command us in his letter, 1 Peter 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. He's describing there the hunger, the desire that should mark all of our lives. Are we hungry for God's Word? Are we craving that Word? When we come to church, is there an expectation that we're going to hear that Word, we're going to learn from that Word, and and not just in our, our weekly gathering, but from that even our own personal lives. As we go throughout the week, are we hungering for God's Word? That is a question for us. They devoted themselves to learning the apostles' teaching. Just a quick word of of application there. Our culture is becoming quickly, more and more so, a non-reading, experienced based, experience-oriented culture. And I want to encourage you, don't let the culture define your life. Get in the Word of God. Get in it. Read it. Study it. Pray it. Meditate on it. Memorize that Word of God. Put yourself under faithful teachers of God's Word. Because this is, again, I think a mark of what a Christian is and does. Notice, secondly, they were not just a learning church, but they were a loving church. They devoted themselves to fellowship, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, it says, to fellowship. And and once again, notice the devotion to this. They continually devoted themselves to it. Interesting word here, the word koinonia, first time it's used in the New Testament. Koina means common. Uh, They were in common together. 
with one another. They were devoted, they devoted themselves to being together, to being in common, is saying to us. So much so, verse 44 tells us that all who believed were together. And they had all things in, in common. It's a, it's a remarkable statement, especially when you consider the diversity that was there. Verse 5, up in chapter 2, verse 5, tells us of the diversity of people from every nation, every kind of background imaginable. When the Holy Spirit fills them, there is a remarkable unity. There is a togetherness that, 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 that happens by the Spirit of God. People who didn't have anything in common with each other now all of a sudden are family members spiritually. They suddenly come together. And notice this, just to make the connection again, it was not in spite of doctrine. We hear that today often that some people will say that doctrine is what divides people. That is not the picture of the New Testament. In fact, doctrine is uniting people here, isn't it? Amen? It's the Word that was preached that brought them together. We don't do away with our doctrine so that we don't all believe anything and then we're going to come together. What are we coming together around if we do that? No, 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 they believed, it says. All who believed, believed in, in the message, in Christ, they were together. It was their doctrine. It was what they believed. It was what the apostles taught that formed their very fellowship together. It was not a lessening of that. Now, it certainly, I don't think, means every single doctrine, but it certainly means the main things, right? And looking at Peter's sermon, I mean, clearly, there's, he's preaching from the authority of the Word of God. There's a shared belief and conviction about the Word of the God, the Word of God. There's, there's the centrality of Jesus Christ. There's the centrality of the cross and His resurrection and what it means to be a Christian and our salvation in Jesus Christ and how we are saved through belief and through repentance. This is the message that Peter preached. And the transformation that happened to them when they were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. So when people become Christians, they become one. They enter into this community of faith, the family of faith together. They wanted to be together. I mean, what we see here is a desire to do this. And it wasn't just a coming together once a week kind of a deal. They love to be together. They're continually devoting themselves to this, apparently not just on the Sabbath or on Sunday, but throughout the week, they're wanting to be together. Notice the description, verse 44. All who believed were together. They had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. In other words, those who didn't have anything in common before, apparently, after coming to Christ, they had everything in common. The most important thing, of course, being Christ. But now their lives are marked by this community, by being a part of this people, the people of God. They're Giving and receiving, this is sometimes a controversial passage. It's really not that controversial. There's no socialism in this text. This is not communism that's being described here. Nobody's forced to share their possessions with those in need, but rather they're doing this obviously because of their hearts. They're generous. Their hearts have been touched and changed because God had been so generous to them. Verse 46, the second part, goes on to say, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. This fellowship marked by gladness, generous hearts, 
praising God, favor, all because of their new faith in Christ. Fellowship is so important. And in many ways, it's part of the sweet assurance of our salvation, this fellowship. How do you know that you're a Christian? John answers that, 1 John 3, 14. He says that we know that we've passed out of death into life. Well, because we love our brothers, right? We, 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 this is what the, the fellowship looks like, we're, we're, the fellowship of other believers. It's popular, I think, to say, to act like that there's a Christianity today that can exist outside of the fellowship, outside of the church. I read a t-shirt one time that said something like, I love Jesus, but I can't stand any of his followers. And, and, Beloved, I would just tell you the New Testament gives you no such option in following Jesus. To follow Jesus is to be added into the church. To love Jesus is to love His church, His people. And we see it here, they're devoting themselves to fellowship. Third, they devoted themselves to worship. Verse 42 again, the, the breaking of bread and the prayers, those two phrases... They're, they're meant to be a part of corporate worship. The breaking of bread is obviously a reference to the Lord's Supper, and uh, we'll talk about that next week. We'll, we'll take part in that next week as well. But notice the prayers. That's not referring to private prayer. That's a wonderful thing. We're instructed to do that, but this is a corporate praying. This is prayers that are prayed together, corporate kind of prayer time. This is, again, this is involving their meeting together. They're coming together for this purpose. They're, they're coming together to constantly remember this message, to remember Christ, to thank God for His gift. Notice how it describes their gathering in verse 43. It says that all came upon them. A-W-E. All came upon every soul. As they're, they're filled with the Spirit, there's this fear of God that comes on them. They're, uh, they're over overcome uh, with gratitude of joy and thanksgiving and reverence and all. This is something about their meeting together, and so they're devoting themselves to prayers. They're devoting themselves, verse 47, to praising God. In other words, they're worshiping together. Adrian Rogers, the late preacher, he said this one time, he says, the church, this church in Acts 2 was not rusted together by traditionalism. They were not wired together by organization. They were not frozen together by formalism. They were melted and brought together by praise, prayer, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice the ways in which this worship, they're worshiping not only in the temple together, but they're meeting in homes. Apparently there were large groups that were meeting. There were smaller groups they were worshiping together. There's formal, there's non-formal. Uh, they're, they're filled with awe and joy at the same time. There's a fear of God. There's a joy of God. There's a mixture of all of it together. They're so overcome with gratitude that they're praising and worshiping God. Worship is another essential reason of why we come together every week, isn't it? You can... And I've heard this before. You can, people will say, I worship God in my garden. 
I'm thankful that you do, if you do. Uh, I worship God in the woods. I hear that often at hunting time. Uh, I'm worshiping God in the woods. That's fine. I'm hearing, I hear often uh, today as well, more often today, at least since COVID, is that I'm worshiping God online. And uh, I just want to encourage you. There, there is, that you can worship God anywhere as a believer in Christ. Amen? That's, that's definitely true. But there's something critical and biblical and really commanded in the Scripture that we come together for worship. There's nothing that can replace gathering. Not watching it on the screen, not by yourself in a garden somewhere. When the Spirit of God fills you, what do we see here? What's the pattern? You desire to worship with other believers in Christ. You want to worship with believers. To to obey Christ in the Lord's Supper with other believers. You want to pray with other believers. Both fear and praising God with other believers. And we see it here, we see it in other places in the New Testament. Do, do not neglect gathering together with God's people in worship as some are in the habit of doing. Come and be with the people. How blessed we are to come to this place each week, amen? We have great facility here. We have people that are devoting themselves, talented people with instruments and singing and all these different things to lead us uh, to worship God to join together with other believers. And then, and then, but how many times do we forsake this meeting together? And sometimes for things that aren't really very important. Um, are you devoting yourself to worshiping with God's people? Are you continually doing this? As the Acts 2 tells us. The fourth thing that we see, and it's not really stated explicitly there, it's more of a result of their devotion, that is evangelism. Verse 47 just simply concludes with this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's a remarkable statement. This must have been a remarkable period of time. It isn't, obviously, this wasn't going on infinitely, but in this particular beginning stage of the early church after Pentecost, there was a time when people were just getting saved every day. A remarkable thing. Now, the verse doesn't tell us specifically, it doesn't, it doesn't specifically emphasize personal evangelism in this text. It certainly perhaps infers that it's happening. I think the bigger picture here of what it is saying is that there's, a, there's an evangelistic element in their meetings together that, that perhaps their continued coming together as a church, devoting themselves to the teaching, to fellowship, to worship, that that has a profound evangelistic effect on the community. People are watching. People know this. They see. They see you drive to church and leaving from your neighborhoods and and so forth. And and so perhaps our gatherings are, are one of the most important ways that we can evangelize. Luke is careful here to give praise to God and and to note um, very significantly, I think, that the Lord is the one that adds to His church. We don't add anyone to the church. Only God does that. And yet God uses us, doesn't He? Chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts, you will be my witnesses, He told the apostles. God does the saving work always, but He has called us 
to do the sharing work, to tell others. Notice the Lord kept adding to their number daily. I think it means that evangelist, evangelism was not uh, some kind of a special activity, but it was something about the way they lived their lives. It was kind of ingrained in their life. They're believers in Christ going out into the world. Just as their worship of God was daily, so was their witness of Him. It's a remarkable portrait. It's, a, it's an incredible pattern being laid out for us. Where the Spirit reigns, uh, we note that believers relate to the Word through teaching. They're learning. They're eager for it. In the church where the Spirit reigns, uh, believers are relating to each other through fellowship. It was their desire to come together, to be together, they, 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 to support and love one another. Where the, the church and the Spirit reigns, believers are relating to God through worship. There's this desire to break bread together, to pray together, to be together in worship, not just, uh, not just on Sunday, but each day, it says. And where the Spirit reigns, believers are relating to the world through evangelism. That is, God's Spirit is empowering them uh, to learn the Word of God, but then to share the Word of God. It's flowing out of their lives. As we think about these things, just in conclusion, we evaluate ourselves. Maybe a couple of questions um, to consider this morning. Number one is, are you a Christian? Now, be careful. You quickly answer that, because I'm not asking you, do you feel like you're one, or do you have strange feelings and that you can't explain and no no, I'm asking you biblically I mean looking at the biblical marks here of what we see are you are you a Christian are you leaving the world behind has there been a separation obviously we continue to struggle with sin but when you become a Christian there's a break isn't there there's at least a break in your heart and desires toward your sin and toward the things of God has there been that Are you repenting of your sin right now, fighting your sin, desiring to leave it behind, not trying to coddle it and have one foot in the world and one foot in the church? No, are you trusting in Christ alone? Are there desires within you to continue with God's people, the church? Uh, Secondly, then, if you are a believer in Christ are you devoting to yourself to the things that are mentioned here? It's so simple, isn't it? Learning the Word, loving one another, loving God and worship, sharing the gospel. If not, what, what is the Lord convicting you about this morning? Well, as always, if God is speaking to you and you would like prayer and counsel, I will be right here as we sing this last song. We do it every week. The invitation is always open. You are always invited to come during this time or even after the service or this week. And uh, I pray as the Lord speaks to you. Um, If you need counsel with that, I'm glad to give it to you. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, thank you for... Uh, your word, the clarity of it this morning, and uh, this reminder of the things that we are to be about, who we are in Christ, and what we're to be about. And I pray that we would be like these early Christians and that we would be seeking these things more and more and more. Lord, help us. Help us in that. If there is someone here today that doesn't know you,
Maybe they're recognizing today that being a Christian is not just something that you name, but it is something that has been done to them. You saving them, changing their heart and life. I pray today if someone is recognizing that, that Lord, they might turn from their sins and themselves and they would trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We give this time to you in worship and response in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.